Well, good evening. If you have a copy of Scripture, I invite you to open to right about the middle of your Bible to the book of Psalms. And as Josh just mentioned in his prayer, there are a lot of Psalms in our Bible. There are 150. And uh, just this, is a, this, isn't, this isn't even in my notes. This is just a, uh, a pet peeve of mine. Uh, the Psalms are a collection of Psalms, all right? So it's not Psalms chapter 1, Psalms chapter 2, like the rest of the Bible. It's Psalm 1. It's singular. Psalm 2, Psalm 150, throughout all of them, okay? That's just pro tip. Uh, but it's a tall task to get up here and to try and explain to you this entire collection because of what I just said. It's not a one unified author. Sorry, it is, all right? But there are many different human authors of the book of Psalms, uh, and all of these different Psalms are written about unique times in the individual's life, about unique experiences that those individuals have had. And so it's a collection of 150 psalms ranging from lots of different topics, lots of different subjects, dealing with lots of different emotions, and they're all compiled together. And so it's a lot to try and understand, and it's a lot for me to try and explain, but there is some structure to the book of Psalms. And so my goal tonight is to show you this structure and to, to help you see how good and helpful the book of Psalms is and to give you a hunger to want to read it and study it more. All right? So that's my goal. Uh, The book of Psalms has lots of different types of Psalms. There are really short Psalms like Psalm 117, which is only two verses long. Uh, And if you're counting chapters of the Bible, it's the middle chapter of the Bible. Uh, It has psalms that are really long. Psalm 119, which comes shortly after 117, is the longest of all the psalms, and it is 176 verses. So we've got short ones, we've got really long ones. We've got happy psalms, where you read and the psalmist is just so happy about God and what God has done, either in redemptive history or what God has done in their own life. And we've got sad psalms. We've got psalms that are... How long, O Lord? Why are you not answering me, O Lord? So we've got lots of range of emotions in the Psalms. And speaking to to this idea of emotions, John Calvin, who lived back in the 1500s, he, writing about the Psalms, he equated it to an anatomy of the human soul. You know, we think about an anatomy as far as like a, a chart. You know, you see the body... On the, uh, on the picture, right? And it shows where the heart is and the veins and all that. And John Calvin equated the book of Psalms as an anatomy of the human soul. Because part of his reasoning is that the Psalms touch on every single human emotion and everything in between are accounted for in the book of Psalms. Somewhere in there, you can relate with every single emotion. So there's a lot here. I think oftentimes when we think about the book of Psalms, it may seem sometimes like it's just a random collection of poems. And we may think that, hey, you know, 
the psalmist or the Israelites were writing poems about God and, and about their life and all these different things. And then somebody came along at one point and just compiled the top 150. And this is like the 150 best hits. All right, and that's not at all what the book of Psalms is. All right. I want to argue tonight that the book of Psalms is actually a carefully constructed collection of Psalms inspired by the Holy Spirit in their authorship and in their writing, but also in their collection and organization. All right, that the book of Psalms is not just a random assortment of poems about God, but it is a carefully crafted book that teaches us about God and that teaches us about what it means to live for God. Okay, so uh, let's look a little bit uh, just about the organization of the Psalms. So like I said, there's 150 of them, and these 150 are broken down into five books. So if you're flipping through the book of Psalms, you may notice right at the very beginning uh, a subheading above the first Psalm, and it says book one. There are five of these books, okay? You find them, uh, you'll find that subheading right before Psalm 1, Psalm 42, Psalm 73, Psalm 90, and Psalm 107. All right, these are the beginning of each of the five books. Now, just a side note, all of our Bibles have chapter and verse divisions, and the Psalms are the same way, all right? When David sat down to write his Psalms, he didn't sit down and say, all right, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? He, he was not numbering them as he went. He probably did not give verses either. Somebody came along in around the 1200s and added chapters and verse divisions to make it helpful for us to find things in the Bible. And they are very helpful, right? But the chapters and verses are not inspired. But these collection of five books are inspired. These were not added later. These were not just somebody saying, hey, I'm going to divide the book of Psalms up into five different books, and that'll be helpful for people. All right, these are original to when they were compiled. All right, And here's, here's how we know this. Each of the five books ends with a doxology. All right, It ends with something such as, praise the Lord, amen, and amen. Something along those lines. And it's unique to where we don't see that same wording or that same structure in other places of the Psalms. So I want you to look with me real quick to Psalm 41. All right, if you've got your Bible open to Psalms, flip to Psalm 41. This is the end of book one. And look at the last verse, verse 13. It says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, Amen and amen. And then the subheading above chapter 40 or number 42 is book two. All right, but now look down to Psalm 72. This is the end of book two. Uh, and actually look at verse 19, the second to last verse. It says, Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. I right, look at Psalm 89. This is the end of book three. And Psalm 89 ends this way. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Now look at Psalm 106. This one ends a little bit differently. It doesn't have the amen and amen, but listen to what it says. This is Psalm 106, verse 48. 
Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, let all the people say amen. Praise the Lord. And now, flip ahead, not necessarily just to Psalm 150, but I want us to start back in Psalm 146. Because the ending of book five ends with a grand doxology. So those were all very, very short doxologies with unique language that's not found elsewhere in the Psalms. But notice how Psalm 146 begins. The first line says, praise the Lord. Notice the last line in verse 10. It ends with, praise the Lord. Notice the first line of verse one, uh, chapter 147. Sorry, Psalm 147. Praise the Lord. Look at the last verse, verse 20. The last line says, praise the Lord. And it does this in Psalm 148, Psalm 149, and 150. They all start and they all end with the same phrase, praise the Lord. And so it ends with this grand doxology of a reminder that we are to be people who praise the Lord. Now, you may ask, so what? So we've got these five book divisions, so why are they significant? Well, they're significant because let's look back at Psalm 1. See how the, the entire collection of Psalms begins. And this was our call to worship. We have read this numerous times before. Maybe some of you have Psalm 1 memorized. But look at how it begins. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. You see, this, the entire collection of Psalms begins with Psalm 1 explaining the blessed man. Now this word law is coming from the Hebrew word Torah. Now, does that sound familiar? Has anybody heard that word before? That is a, a phrase or a word that we use to refer to the first five books of the Bible. The first five books of the Bible are sometimes, we often say the word Torah instead of Torah. Uh, it's just a different pronunciation, but it's the same word. It's the same exact word. And what it means is law or instruction. And so it doesn't mean that the first five books of the Bible are only strictly law, and that's the only genre we find. We find uh, all kinds of genres in there. We do find law in there, but we also find poetry and we find narrative and uh, lots of different things. But it's all referred to as the law of God. And there are five books in the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so we have the Psalms, which are divided into five books, and they begin by explaining that the blessed man is one who meditates on the law of the Lord. And so it's this picture of as we begin reading the Psalms, we are reminded of the law. We're reminded of the first five books of the Bible. We are reminded of the instruction that Moses put down on, on paper for, for God's people and that has been preserved for generations. And that instructs us and that teaches us in the way of knowing God and living for God. And so I think the five-book division in Psalms is significant in that way, in that it points us to the way that God has intended for us to live. 
Mark Futado, who uh, has written a commentary on the book of Psalms, says this. He says, the organization of the five books are to show us the fundamental purpose of the Psalms. And that purpose is an instruction manual for the abundant or, you could say, the blessed life that Jesus came to give us. You see, Jesus in the New Testament tells us that he came to give us life and to give us life abundantly. And that idea is the same as the blessed life. And Psalm 1 begins by explaining, blessed is the man who meditates on the word day and night. And that is a significant uh, structure to uh, the books. But now, when we get inside of this, this five-book structure, and this is something that I did not know previous to preparing for tonight. This was something I found very, very interesting, is that you've got these five collections of psalms, and all of them are unique in that they don't all say the exact same thing, but they all have a theme to them, right? So book one has a theme. All the psalms fall into a theme. Book two, same thing. On, on to book three, four, and five. The first is book one, which is Psalm 1 through 42, 41 rather. And it's the establishment of God's kingdom. And we really see this in, in Psalm 2, which we'll read here in just a second. And it shows how God is reigning over the world through his anointed king. All right, so look with me at Psalm 2 and we'll see this. Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God is saying, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, and he is the one who reigns. And what you'll see as you read through all the Psalms in book one is there's the same idea that God has established his king and he is ruling and he is reigning. Now, for those who are reading this as the initial audience, that covers a various amount of time, but they're probably thinking back to the Davidic kingship. Because David is the king who is a big deal in the Old Testament and the one who receives a covenant from God saying that you will never lack a descendant on the throne. That there will be a, a, one of David's descendants on the throne for all of eternity. Okay, that's the promise that God made to David. And so we see through this first book that God has established his kingdom and that he's reigning through the world through his king which for, mo for much of that is David and David's descendants, Solomon and, and so on. We get to book two, and the, the main theme here in book two is how the kingship covenant that God made with David is transferred to Solomon. And so you'll see that, uh, that theme run through some of the Psalms that you find in book two. We get to book three, and it's really all about enjoying the benefits of God's kingdom. And the reality is, for those who are in God's kingdom, there are benefits that come along with it. God is protecting his people. God is caring for his people. And you'll read about that in Psalm, uh, in book three of the Psalms. But then, look at the very end of, Psalm, of book three, which is Psalm 89. 
And in Psalm 89, it ends with kind of, kind of a crisis. It's a long psalm, so we, won't, we will not read the entire thing. But as you get into it, you see uh, that the psalmist is explaining a lot of the things that God has done in, in, uh, in, crea- in, in salvation history. All right, verse 11, he says, The heavens are yours and the earth also, and the world and all that is in it. You have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon, joyously praise your name. And he goes on and on and on. And then you look down to verse 38. He says, But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant, You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls and you have laid his strongholds in ruin. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You also have turned back the edge of the sword and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease And cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth, and you have covered him with shame. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? And he goes on and on. But what the psalmist is identifying is God, you made this promise to to King David that he would have a descendant on the throne forever. And if you're familiar with the history of Israel, there comes a point where there is no Davidic king on the throne. And so the psalmist is writing here in Psalm 89, pointing that out, saying, God, have you broken the covenant that you made with our father David? Because there is no Davidic king on the throne. There is no one who is ruling in David's family. And that's a crisis point in the history of Israel. So then we get to book four. And book four and book five are really, really helpful, very practical. Book four teaches us how to live in the absence of a messianic king. So for Israel, there is no Davidic king on the throne. And book four teaches them how they are to live in light of this reality. And the reality is... What we see in book four is that we learn that we need to live by faith because our faith is telling us that, yes, God is in control. He's on the throne, but the reality is something different. It doesn't look as if God is on the throne. It doesn't look as if he's in control because they're being uh, cast out. They're being overruled by other nations, and it doesn't seem like God is still in control. And so book four is teaching the Israelites how to live in light of not experiencing what they know to be true, right? We believe by faith that God reigns, but we don't see that in our everyday life. And so you'll see this phrase repeated over and over again throughout book four, our God reigns, our God reigns, our God reigns. You will see that. There are Psalms where sometimes it's every other line is a repetition of the same thing. The steadfast love of the Lord remains forever. Okay, it endures forever. And so you see this repeated over and over and over again, and it's teaching us how we are to live 
in light of this situation. Now, this may seem foreign to us, but the reality is, this is very similar to you and I and our experience. Because I don't think any of us have seen Jesus lately. He's not walking the earth anymore. He is in heaven at the right hand of God, but we don't see that visually. And so what we see around us is the powers of darkness. We see uh, evil all over the world, which seems like it's having victory. But yet by faith, we know that Jesus is at the right hand of God. By faith, we know that he is ruling and he is reigning and that he is in control. But our experience seems to contradict that. And so book four is really, really helpful, not just for Israelites who are living during that time, but it's helpful for us because we are constantly reminded our God reigns. We may not see it when we turn on the news. We may not see it when we observe the world around us, but we walk by faith and we know that it's true. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Book five also is, is along the same lines. It's teaching us how to live in light of the absence of a messianic king. But it really gets to the practical matters of living. And this is where we find Psalm 119, the longest psalm in, in the collection. And Psalm 119, I didn't do the work to, to figure it out, but there are probably... Verses you can count with both of your hands, right? There's 176 verses. And you can probably count with both of your hands how many do not reference either God's word, God's law, God's instruction. Almost every single verse or stanza or whatever you want to call it in Psalm 119 directly refers to God's law, God's instruction, because it's teaching us how to live in, in this situation. And we are to be dependent on God's word, dependent on his law, his instruction. And that is what leads us. That is what, uh, what encourages us and reminds us of the truth. So that's just a little bit on the structure of Psalms. And I found that to be very helpful uh, as I was studying and preparing for this. But there are other ways that, that we understand the Psalms and that the Psalms can be... Um, broken down or, or explained or, or seen. And there are lots of different ways that we could break up the types of psalms that we, that we find. All right? There are laments. Uh, there are imprecatory psalms, which are praying for destruction against your enemies. Right? But, the, but I think the most helpful one that I found was explaining there's three main types. Now, again, this, these are generalizations, but it helps us to wrap our minds around the types of psalms. Okay? The first is hymns, and what a hymn is when it refers to a psalm is things are going well, uh, and these tend to praise God for what he's done in redemptive history. Okay, so an example is Psalm 65. Look with me at Psalm 65. And it's, I tried to pick examples that were not too long so we could read them. So let's, let's read this together. Psalm 65. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. 
Blessed is the one you choose to bring near to dwell in your courts. You shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumults of the people, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make, your go, you make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You, uh, you water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. And what these hymns are doing is they are praising God for what he has done. Oftentimes it's in creation. They are noticing the creation that God has made and they're praising God for it. And oftentimes